Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. Uh, Second Kings, uh, chapter five. You can put your finger there if you want to and hold on to that. I was reminded of a very vivid dream I had, and I'm going to share the dream with you. And then from there, we will move into the scriptures. I don't have notes for you, so we'd hope that you would take notes to help recall what's preached to you in your hearing tonight. And it is our deeper prayer that God, by the power of his spirit, would take his own finger and write on the fleshly tablets of your heart. Pastor Gill, that's a lovely shirt you have on tonight. Fantastic. I'm in tune with you. Spirit led, I think. Amen. In the dream, I was uh, over, I was in Ireland, except I wasn't visiting Ireland. I was in the spirit over Ireland, and I was looking down on a very old village and um, I was, it was a bird's eye view. It's like I was flying. So as I'm looking down at this village, I see three young adults coming out of an establishment. They're just filled with joy. It's a time of celebration. And, um, and just the whole atmosphere is just this atmosphere of celebration. And as these three young adults walk out of this establishment, they step off the curb into the cobblestone street, and I see them step over these Irish fishing sweaters. Does anybody know what that is? Now, I'm, I'm uh, apparently 98 or 98% Northwestern European. So that means something to me. So, you know, you, that might not mean anything to you, but it means a lot to me, which I'll, I'll, I'll break down for you. They stepped over these sweaters, and they weren't, they weren't your average kind of sweaters. They were uh, what is called an Irish fishing sweater, a Iran, Iran sweater, A-R-A-N, from the island of Iran, and, uh, which is nine miles off the coast. And there's, um, there's a lot of history to them. Actually, they're made popular by Vogue in 1950, and then everybody wanted them after that. But they were used to help the fishermen. They're made of natural uh, lamb's wool, and natural lamb's wool, undyed, untreated, would repel water. And uh, I think we heard that, my brother Chris and I, uh, when we were, before we had wetsuits out on the eastern end of Long Island, we would use sweaters to keep us warm. It was a bad idea. I wound up with one around my head and almost drowned. But I didn't. Back to the dream. They stepped over, and they just went on across the street to the next thing they were doing. And then I was brought into focus on the sweaters that were in, the, in this 
curb in this gutter. And they were, they were different, different types of cable knit fishing sweaters. Now, there's some folklore about that, but one thing's for sure that we know is that families had a particular preference on what knots they would use, and there's a lot of different knots. There's a lot of different, anybody knit here? How many of you know God knits? Babies in the womb. So I see these sweaters and they step over and they move on with joy. And I was quickened by the Holy Spirit of the great concern that God had. Because, and I didn't need anybody to interpret it for me. I knew what was going on. They stepped over what was traditional. They stepped over what was not popular. They stepped over what was not in fashion. They stepped over that which is passed on even from their families, from generation to generation. They stepped over what was intended for them to keep them warm, to keep them safe, to keep them protected. It's profound picture of generational inheritance in a godly way. When most of these knots, you go and look and there's, they tie into scripture. And so they stepped over and they forgot them and they left behind. And I felt the broken heart of God. And I realized that he has called me as he's called many of you to be a repairer of the breach, to be somebody that passes on a mantle, that, pat, that receives a mantle, but, but passes it on. There is a release of spiritual inheritance that is coming to this house, to the, these families here under the sound of my voice. He said, well, I don't even know who my father is. Well, welcome to Kings. You can, you can just get adopted right here. God will take you into his family and so will we. And you can receive a spiritual inheritance here. But there are many that will not receive it. Second Kings chapter five. Are you all there? Say amen. Let's all stand and I'm going to read from the New King James. And we'll stand for the reading of the word, at least for a section of it. I do believe we'll look at the whole chapter, so we're not going to read the whole chapter. Verse 1 of chapter 5 of 2 Kings in the New King James Version. Are you all there? Say amen. Now Naaman, a commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He also was a mighty man of valor, but a leper. There are those that are even here, and you might be a man of means or a woman of means or even stature, but you're leprous in your spirit. You can be set free tonight. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back some of the captives, a young girl in the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Naaman went and told his master, saying, thus and thus said the girl who came from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took the letter, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing. What modern scholars, as I looked at, 
estimated to be approximately $3.5 million in today's economy as of a few years ago. So it's probably 75 million right now. <laughs> then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, now be advised when this letter comes to you, that I've sent name in my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Move in power. Amen. You may be seated. So the king gets all upset because, you know, he says in verse 7, am I God that I can make this man alive? I mean, he's convinced this is a, an assignment to bring him into war or to cause there to be strife. But it really was a letter that was genuine. It really actually came for deep concern for a man named Naaman. And the king didn't understand it. But there was a prophet, there was a man of God there. There was a move of God in the nation. Look at verse 8. So it was when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and I shall, and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. One of the things that's happening all around America is God's raising up people. He's raising up churches. He's raising up those who really have a deep, intimate walk with the Lord that can sing songs like, like you just sang and bring people into an encounter. People had an encounter with the love of God tonight because you sang, because you paid whatever price you paid, as well as you, Hannah. Together, you sang and you brought people into like, what is that? The worship team as well. Why have you torn your clothes? I'm going to tell you there's hope for America. There's hope for, there's hope for your family. There's hope for my family. There's hope for the nations. Can somebody say that's right? There's hope if there's an Elijah, even a spirit of Elijah, if there's those who really get a hold of God's word and contend and fight and pray and pay the, pay the price. There's a price to pay. It's worth it. Verse 9, then Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he stood at the door of Elijah's house. This is hysterical. Because many times in our lives, we have an idea of how God's going to do something. In fact, the, the biggest challenges I've had as a believer is to be so set. I know better now, but I, it took me a little bit to learn. I, I just knew what God was going to do. I just knew it. I knew it. I had a dream. I had a vision. I seen the thing, and I know it's going to be like this. And boom, boom. And then when you get right to that place, and that's not what happens, or God doesn't decide to do the miracle right then, you start getting offended. There are people that are offended at what God does, and there are people offended at what God does not do. I've, got, I've given up long ago about being offended about whether he comes through, through for me at the exact time that I want him to. Oh, let me say hi to Pastor David in Mexico. Pastor David, right? Yeah, God bless you. We hope to see you here soon. You're traveling up to uh, the great Northland. You've been serving for decades in Mexico. Oh, ex excuse me? He's here now? I was close. David, Mark, they're biblical names. <laughs> hey, Mark. <laughs> so much for text. 
But you know, it's an opportunity to get offended at somebody calling your name differently. Tell, tell us about... That's good. You, you live in Mexico as a missionary. You would have to not be getting offended often. Father, thank you for this precious man. There is a great wave of inspiration and encouragement coming to you even in your prayer time. Like, uh, like a, a fuse being lit, so it shall be upon your return, you're going to see an explosion in the Word of God and even the book of Isaiah is going to ring with the promises of God like a bell in your ear. I'm going to release breakthrough. I'm bringing other partners. I'm setting you up, says the Lord. And it's going to be greatly encouraging. Father, thank you for protecting them all these years. Move in God, move, have a move of God in Mexico, we pray. In the name of Jesus, Mark, nice to meet you. So is there David or I got that all wrong? Very good. What's up, Daniel? Great name. Awesome. <laughs> There are people that get offended at what God does and what he doesn't do. There's people that come out the womb, they're offended. Anybody ever known anybody like that? Second, they're offended. They're just instantly offended. There's generational offense. And Naaman, Naaman comes to the prophet and he has in his mind that, you know, something's going to happen. Well, how do you know that? Because you, you can read it later on, but I mean, he knocks on the door. stood at the door of Elijah's house, verse 10, and Elijah sent a messenger. He doesn't even answer the door. I mean, the man, the commander, a mighty man of valor, comes, knocks on the door, and he doesn't get up to answer it. So Elijah sends his messenger, who we later find out his name is Gehazi. Says a messenger to him, go and wash at the Jordan. Sends him, okay, give him this message. Just tell him to go to the Jordan, wash seven times. So the messenger answers the door. Yeah, Elijah's busy. He just says, go to the Jordan, wash your hand. Wash seven times. Not six, seven. Not eight, seven. Okay, awesome. Close the door. And you see what happens to Naaman. Naaman... Verse 11, Naaman became furious, and he went away. He said, and he said, to my, he said uh, indeed, I said to myself, he'll surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand. I mean, he's like, he's like in a Benny Hinn crusade he has in his mind. I'm not against Benny Hinn crusades, but I mean, the picture is, the picture is, he comes out, oh, God. And then he's healed. That's his picture. Some of you have a picture about how God's going to set you free and deliver you. It is nothing, nothing like that. I don't know where he got the idea, but he becomes offended. He gets furious. Verse 12. And he talks about, man, all my rivers back home are better than this nasty river. Paraphrasing. And he turned away in rage. And I love verse 13. And his servant came near and spoke to him and said, my master. And I feel like this is me right here. This is me for you. You need to get over your offense and get over whatever, get over whatever time frame or picture you have in your mind about how God's going to come through. And, all, and just know that he will come through for you. Trust him. 
trust him. He's either the Lord of all or he's not the Lord at all. And you have to trust his leadership. And that can be, I've been tested, Pastor Karen, and I have been very tested about him, about the Lord. Are you going to really trust him? And discerning whether, whether something is, is a delay that comes from God and there's delay that comes from the enemy. The, the enemy serves up delay too. There's some people that just want to embrace the delay of the devil and say, oh Lord, you're just so good, I love you. When the, when the Lord wants you to rise up on your God-given blood-bought right and backhand that thing, take authority over and move on into the promised land. When the Lord wants you to subjugate the land, but you're embracing the Philistines. But of the, Lord, the Lord loves me. He knows where I am. He can just come and help me anytime. Of course, he can come and help you anytime. And the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, Jesus said, and the violent take it by force. So there's a principle of understanding that, yes, you trust God's leadership, but where the rub is, if I can quote your father, is which is from him and which isn't. Which, which is the delay that comes from God or the change of plan or the, the, the change of recipe for the miracle? and which is actually from the enemy. And, and I've said it so many times before. He offends your mind to reveal your heart. You might not like that, but I'm gonna tell you, God's after more than just your healing, your breakthrough, your miracle, your answer to your prophetic word. He's, he's wants to make you more like Christ. And many times the blow of the hammer while you're resting on the anvil is not so much fun. But, but you asked him, you prayed one of those dumb prayers. This is actually a smart prayer. <laughs> Refiner's fire. Right? I am the clay, oh God. You are the potter. He's like, okay, let me start over. <laughs> <laughs> Many, many years ago, my mother got a kick wheel for us three sons. How many of you know what a kick wheel is? A potter's wheel, a kick wheel. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons the Lord led you to get us a kick wheel is so that I could share stories like this. And it gave me a perspective about clay. Clay is interesting. It has to, it has to be moldable. It has to be pliable. It can't be dry. You can't leave the bag of clay open, which we did numerous times. You leave the bag of clay open, it gets dry, and you're not making anything. You got to go get a new bag of clay. Some of you are dry. Anyway, you take the clay, and depending upon what you're making, you have to set that clay dead center in the middle of the wheel. It can't be kind of dead center. It must be dead center in the middle of the wheel. If it is not dead center, you get this thing that happens and by the time you're making a pot, it all falls apart. It just wobbles out. Some of you are wobbling out right now because you, you don't have Jesus in the center. What is that song? Be the center. That's an old song. Jesus, I gotta remember it. And so Naaman, he gets offended. Don't ever get offended. Make a decision to never get offended. God's trying to set him free, but he's offended. I, I can't believe, I should have been, they, they should have been, 
I can't believe it. And as a result, they leave leprous. Leprosy's not good. Spiritual leprosy. A preconceived idea of how something was going to happen. He was filled with pride. You know, the Lord tonight and this first part of this message wants to bring you across a threshold of your offense. Some of you are ticked off that you didn't have the breakthrough, the miracle, the provision by now. You've been at it for 20 and 30 years. Some of you are irritated that, you know, you didn't get acknowledged. Or, we all need that. We all need acknowledgement. We all need, we all need that. But make a decision to never get offended. Jesus said to the disciples, there was a whole, whole bunch from there, and he said, drink my blood and eat my body, for my blood is real drink and my body is real food. And a whole bunch of disciples like, that's hard, that's a hard, I'm out, peace, peace out. And they fade. And then the disciples are left and Jesus asks him, are you gonna leave also? And I love what Peter says, Peter says, where are we going? Because you alone have the words of eternal life. Make a decision to not get offended. Even though it's delayed, even though it didn't happen the way you wanted, even though the prophet prophesied and all of that, just, just set your heart to not ever get offended. If you get offended, you're going to be suspended and you'll end up with leprosy. If you want leprosy tonight, just raise your hand. I'm glad you didn't raise your hand because that would mean you're demonized. We want to help you with that too. If you came in here with the devil tonight, you can leave free. Seven times, it's a picture of completeness. In Mark 7, you see a Syrophoenician woman. She's a Gentile, and she's called a dog by Jesus. Pastor Jesus called her a dog. Just read this this week. And she says, uh, yes, uh, true, I'm a dog, whatever. Even dogs eat from the master's table, so hook me up, Jesus. Just all I need is a crumb. And he says, whoa, woman of great faith. You know what's good? In the process of training and raising up leaders, or picking out a spouse, in the process of elevating people in your business, elevating people in, uh, at whatever level in life, you want to see people pass tests. I got a one, one amen from the guy who has a matching shirt. Come on, somebody say amen. You're in a test. Dude, this is a test. Come on, bump your neighbor and say, this is a test. You say, well, well, everything's going good. Well, that's also a test. In Matthew 19, the rich young rulers offended. In fact, many believe that he was called to be one of the disciples. He says, come and follow me, which, he owned, which Jesus only said to those who were to be his disciples. But the rich young ruler walked away offended because he had much wealth. God often will bring offense. In Romans 9 and 33, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Haman and Mordecai, another classic story of offense. Haman, 
hung on his own gallows. If he just could have gotten over it. <laughs> he was offended, so he swung. A short drop of the sudden jerk. Thomas. Thomas. How many of you know the story of Doubting Thomas? Anybody heard of the story of Doubting Thomas? I don't know why they call him Doubting Thomas because he ended up being Believing Thomas. Isn't it terrible that people hold you by a standard of your old offense? Am I the only one that's been through that? I've been held by a standard of, of, a, of an old offense by some in the past. You're like, oh, I remember, I remember you did that. What? You have the blood of Jesus on trial, not me. I said, many people put the blood of Jesus on trial. So Thomas, when Jesus is going to go raise Lazarus from the dead, they all don't want to go. And I've preached this to you before. They all don't want to go because they're going to die, okay? So everybody's going to kill Jesus and all his followers. And they're like, we're not going there. They're going to kill us. And plus, he stinketh by now, right? And Thomas says, let us go that we may die with you. What happened to him? What happened to the guy that's like, let us go and die with the master? What happened to him to later on when they've got broiled salmon in the room and Jesus, come on, later on he says, unless I stick my hands in his side and my, what happens? What happens then? What happened? He was deeply offended at the fact that his hero, Jesus, didn't come through the way that he wanted. He was looking for the Messiah to, you know, take care of Rome and kick them out. He was looking for, he was looking for God to show up the way that he wanted it. You're not God. It's people, though. People, if they could just get it. Yeah, yeah. How many of you know God can help people also? Miriam in Numbers 12. A new structure comes to the church. What do you mean? Moses has a new plan. He raises up life group leaders. He picks leaders to help judge the cases. And the byproduct of that is Miriam and Aram get bent. Miriam and Aaron get bent out of shape. They get bowed up. They're offended. Why? Can I also prophesy? You can go read it. Numbers 12. So she's like, man, I can prophesy. Who is this Moses think he is? The sister. The family offense. And you go and look at that, and what ends up happening is that she becomes leprous, and she's removed from the camp. I want to tell you what offense and a critical spirit. That's a critical spirit also. A critical spirit. You think you know better, Mr. Monday Morning Quarterback. Well, if you know better, maybe, maybe you should have gone out for the professional football league. You know, the NFL. Go ahead. Give it a shot. Give the dozens and dozens of years and decades of coaching. You made the wrong call. Still think they should have run Marshawn Lynch, for God's sake. Am I right? Am I right? What did they think? What kind of call was that? I was offended for a second. That's like eight years ago. I'm still offended. Some of you, some of you were offended at at the fact that, what's his name, takes air out of footballs or something. Come on. (laughs) 
Miriam was offended that she wasn't chosen to be the thing or to come up with the idea. It was God's idea and her offense caused her to be removed. If you're offended and you end up with a critical spirit, you'll end up outside. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that were a part of this house that are no longer here because they're offended at the fact that we planted Eagle River or they're offended at the fact that we did Bristol Bay or they're offended at the fact that, I can't believe you're building that giant building. You know know how many people are poor? Yeah, that's why we're building the building, to teach them how to prosper, to teach them how to walk in the blessing of God. We, we need a bigger plate. Look, this is Wednesday in the summer. This is Wednesday in the summer. 350 people in the sanctuary, and it's hot, and there's no air conditioning. In the summer, where they, I had pastors well-meaning. It's okay. I got it. It's part of the illustration. Okay, never mind. I had pastors well-meaning, thank you, Minister Michael. I had pastors well-meaning tell me, oh, summer, forget it. I know you're new here, you just came, you know, and tell you, tell you summer doesn't work. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah, we, well, we close. I said, you close? I said, well, I'll never do that. I said, no, yeah, we close in the summertime because people go fishing. Look at all the non-fishing people. Let me tell you when I'll close. Read my white lips. Never. 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 The church church doesn't close. How do you close that which is eternal? How do you do that? There's a lot of illustrations about people offended. I want to move on to the one that's found in this text, and it's not Naaman. It's this other guy. The guy who stepped over his sweater. What? Yeah, I'm tying in the dream. Remember the dream? The dream, the sweater. Remember the cable knit sweater and all that? And people stepping, right? The young stepping over. Picture of mantles. Picture of inheritance. Picture of honor. And a picture of family and tribes and the goodness of God and protection. There's this guy, Gehazi. You do know, you do know that you can lose the anointing, right? You, you do know that you can forfeit. You do know that, right? You do know that just because, you know, you're casting out devils, healing the sick right now, that a year from now, you can forfeit it. You do know that. You can be disqualified. I remember uh, I was a swimmer in the Junior Olympics. And I've told this story before. It is one of the heartbreaking moments of my childhood. And I was competing in the breaststroke and freestyle, and I had every chance of winning the whole thing. And so there I was, way ahead, and I get to the finish, and I hit with one hand at the end of the wall. I've told this story before. I hit one hand with the end of the wall, and that's not how you're supposed to finish. In swimming, you have to hit two hands on the wall. It is not one hand, it's two. And when I hit one and came up and like, yes, I won, they said, oh, son, you're disqualified. My heart broke in half. We had trained for hours. We would go and swim for three plus hours, three, four hours. I don't know. I remember my eyeballs falling out of my head. They hurt so bad from chlorine. I mean, train and train and train and train and train. And the moment comes and I'm disqualified. Listen, look at your neighbor and say, you could be disqualified. 
Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that. But some people think, oh, well, I just have eternal security. 1 Corinthians 9, and then we're going to look at Gehazi, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way, so he's using athletics as a means of illustrating the run of faith, the walk of faith. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Somebody, somebody say, I'm going to get the prize. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. How long? Forever. Verse 26, therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now that scripture, along with many other, will destroy the once saved, always saved. It just destroys it. Your actions in your life are either going to release the blessing of God or you're going to be disqualified or you'll suffer loss. There is a suffering loss and not a complete disqualification. I don't want to lose anything. Does anybody want to lose? It's the same person they wanted leprosy. You don't want to lose and you don't want leprosy. Everybody say that. I don't want to lose. I don't want leprosy. Come on, bump your neighbor and say, I'm made to win. Yeah, it's God's plan for you to win. It's God's intention for you to win it all, for you to get the prize. And what's a beautiful thing is that everything we need for life and godliness, it says, I believe in one of the Peters, first or second Peter, that he gives us everything we need. Everything I need to, to live and walk the victorious life, he has given me. Say that. Everything I need to live the victorious life, he's given me. Try it again. Everything I need to live the victorious life, he's given me. Come on, reach up and just go, Twila. Yes, that's Ugandan for I receive it. Did anybody see that massive amount of gold they found in Uganda? Okay. You have the power to choose, just, just as Miriam did, just as Thomas did. You have the power to choose. You have the power to choose, just like Naaman did. Naaman, listen to, the, listen to his servant. I pray you listen to me right now. Listen, I'm not here preaching to you for my health. I'm here on assignment from God to bring you a message that brings you into the promises of God, that brings you over into a place of visitation, a place of habitation, a place of the blessing of God. you got to get over it. Come on, somebody say, go to Lowe's. Get a ladder. Get over it. It's not exactly biblical, but it is sort of cute, and I heard some other preacher do it and it seemed to go over well. You have to, you have to get over your offense and your prejudice, and your sin, and your fallen human nature. You get to choose, God. You're not a robot. Nobody wound you up, and then you get to obey. No, you get to choose every single day of your life whether you want to walk in the blessing or whether you want to walk in the curse. You choose. Every day, you choose. Be careful, little children, what you see. Be careful, little children, what you hear. For the front of the 
<laughs> he's looking down in love, and I don't know the rest of the song, but you got to be careful because you can be disqualified. All right. I'm glad you guys got that. Let's look at this now. Uh, this guy, Gehazi. So Naaman comes. He's Alaskans call him the Big Dipper. He dips seven times. He returns to man of God with his aids, and he comes out, and he, and he wants to give all of this, these gifts to him. And verse 16, the prophet says, no, I, I can't take anything from you. Now, there's other times the prophet received, but this time he apparently has a word, you don't receive anything from him, you send him on his way. 3.5 million or 70 million in today's... It's a joke. As of 10 years ago, I think it was $3.5 million, according to one commentator. And you could do the math and figure it out. So he heads off and goes his way. And in verse 20, are you all there? Watch this. But Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman, the Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I'll run after him and take something from him. First of all, he's prejudiced. He's offended at, at the Syrians. It's the, it's, it's the way that it's written. He's like, man, this dirtbag got healed. We should have. He knew he had pride. He knew better than the man of God. He knew better than his pastor. He knew better than his leader. He knew better. Well, you don't really understand. So I'm going to run after it. I'm going to take care of it. And he runs after. It's the greed of Gehazi. His name is mentioned 14 times in 2 Kings 4 and 5. Two times in 2 Kings 8. The only thing about the 2 Kings 8 is he has the leprosy of Naaman. Now, some say that he's those the ones that stood outside the door of, uh, stood outside the gate of Samaria and was one of the four lepers that brought that attack and was completely healed, and it certainly could be. We don't know for sure. Rabbinic scholars say that. But Gehazi was the one who should have carried the mantle of the prophet to the next generation. And I want to say to you as I'm beginning to close, James, would you jump on the keys for me? I want to say to you that God has a mantle. He has a sweater for you. Come on, bump your neighbor and say he has a sweater for you. Yeah, he has a mantle. He has a baton. He has a race for you to run. He has a race for you to run. And you can be disqualified. Now, if you think you can't be disqualified, you most likely already are. And Gehazi was supposed to take that which would be passed down to this next generation. But you know the story. That's not what happens. Nobody receives the mantle of Elisha. No one. Except a dead guy that's thrown on his bones chapters later. It's really a picture of how much God wants to put into this next generation and to see that miracles, it, there could have been a double-double. In other words, 
Elijah had seven major miracles. Elijah contended for the outpouring of the Spirit of God and receives, says, if you see me while I'm taken away, you can have the mantle. And he sees it and he picks up the mantle. How many of you know that text? He strikes the water, says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? He does 14 miracles, double, literally double, gets a double portion. This is Gehazi, the guy that should have had the 28. But he forfeited it because of greed because of pride, because of racism. He's offended. I love what that young man from the South said so many years ago at the Brownsville Revival, about to be baptized, and he was talking about how he was involved in the Ku Klux Klan and white supremacy groups, and he repented of all of that. And before he goes under the water, he gives this, he preaches the house down. And he says this, if you're a racist, you ain't going to heaven. And you can hear this crackle through the whole place. I would say that's absolutely true. You say you love God and hate your fellow man whose angels see the face of God every day. I've seen the ugliness of racism. What's fascinating is he goes and he lies his greed, his offense. He goes and he stomps. Verse 21, look at the text with me. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. We saw him running after him. He got down to the chariot. He says, it's all well. Oh yes, everything's fine. Look at this liar. Verse 22, my master has sent me. You're lying. You're lying. Master didn't send him at all. He came up with this plan all by himself. Master went down to lie, from a, lie down for a nap after his day of ministry. Indeed, just as the two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim, please give them. So he not only lies. Now, I think the sons of the prophet, this is in the influence of his, of his greed, his offense. I do believe the sons of the prophets were not there. The influence he has to these two disciples of his, is he brings them into his sin. Listen, you think it's all, you think it's just you. It's not just you. It's not just you. No, it's not just you. It's your wife or your spouse. It's those people you're in relationship with. It's not just you. Your life, your greed, your offense will affect every single person around you, either to release the power of God or to shut it down. What are you going to choose? Are you going to be a Gehazi? Don't step over the sweater, no. <laughs> Dr. Morocco preaches this text and he's, it's a message called Don't Drop the Mantle. So powerful. We are in, across the earth, there is a passing on of mantles, of authority and power and there are those that'll drop it or not pick it up or step over it I don't want to do that I'm not going to do that I don't want you to do it either don't let greed don't let offense don't let racism don't let anything get in the way from what God has for you it's a picture of submission it's a picture it's a picture of what God wants to do in verse 25, look with me. 
Now he went and stood before. He comes back with all the stuff. He, he comes back with all the stuff. And he went and stood before his master. And Elijah said to him, listen closely now. Listen, everybody listening? Where did you go? It reminds me of God in the garden. Adam! How many of you know when, when God can't find you, you're really lost? That's actually not that. It means he's... <laughs> God knows where you are. Come on, someone say, God knows where I am. He says, Adam. Why did he call Adam? I believe he gave Adam a chance to repent. It is in the nature of God. It's, how, it's really, and it, you see it throughout Scripture. So this is the picture, Elijah, the pastor Elijah, the prophet. He said, where did you go, Gehazi? He said, oh, no, I just went for a walk. You know, I was just out there. You know, just, it's a really beautiful day. And he just straight lies. I mean, look what he says. Oh, I didn't go anywhere. No, I didn't go anywhere. Verse 26. Then he said to him, did not my heart go with you? <laughs> the, I mean, he's lying to like one of the leading prophets in the Old Testament. Bad idea. It's a bad idea to lie to the prophet. And he lies. Didn't my heart go with you? He gives him a chance to repent, but he doesn't. Is it time to receive money and clothing and olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen? Is it time? And he's basically saying it was not time to receive it. There was a time that he did receive it, but this was not the time. You know, not every promotion comes from God. Let me try that again. Not every financial release and blessing comes from God's hand. I've seen over and over and over again, finances hook people and pull them deeper into deception or deeper away from their call. You be very careful. I've, got, I've run that test. My wife and I ran that test. We were deeply tested. It was everything I wanted on a silver platter mixed with witchcraft that I didn't know anything about. It was served up just so perfectly. Double salary years ago. Double salary and all the trimming and everything. I thank God that I so part of this church with Dr. Morocco who had discernment, real spiritual discernment. Some people have the gift of suspicion and they think it's discernment. The gift of suspicion is not the gift of discernment. And he said, wow, Pastor Daniel, that's wonderful to be wanted. I said, yeah. What do you think? He says, it's not God. I said, what? He said, yeah, no, it's not God. I'm like, how do you know? I'm just telling you. It's not. I'm like, okay. I walked out. What does my master know? What does he know? What does he really know? Oh, no, that's my pastor. No, he, he knows. No, he just wants to keep me around. Oh. These tests come to every man of God, every woman of God. They come to every single one that will come to you. He said, well, yeah, that's because it's misery. No, no, it's business. It's everything. You'll be, uh, you'll be given opportunities to sell out. You'll be given opportunities for the great promotion, but it's not God. Don't ever settle for, the, for good when God wants to give you His best. Don't do it. Don't partner with people just because they have financial resources or, or they want to grant to you favor or put your name in lights. They're never anywhere in Scripture encouraged to become famous. 
You're never, you're never exhorted to, to, to have your name in lights. You're exhorted to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. But I love this text also where there's this slave girl. We don't even know her name. Oh, but because of her obedience, she brought healing to her master. May we be a, a no-name people. Carry his name. How about that? He's given time to repent. He violated God's will. Leprosy comes on him. In closing, I should finish my story, leave you hanging. I went home, I've told it before. I went back home, my beautiful wife, precious little daughter, Hannah, she's a baby. We talked about, it was, it was being given a church, offered a church. We talked about it. I said, but you know, doctor said it's not God. Pastor Karen never agreed with me. God bless you for that. She's like, well, we just need to pray. And then she just walked off with her hand like this. <laughs> we prayed and for 30 days, 30 days, I had dreams every night of what I would do, how I could turn it around, how I could turn the church around, this amazing building, how we could release finances, how we could impact this whole region. I started dreaming about maybe who could come and help me. And then I'd be like, ah, but I'm not going. Ah, all these dreams. I couldn't discern the difference between what was gone and what wasn't and back and forth and back and forth. And soon after approximately 30 days, that's a long time. Trying to just keep my heart right, being woken up, writing things down and then crossing it out. No, I'm not going. After 30 days, I said, that's it, man. I'm going back in to talk to Dr. Morocco. And I went in, I said, Dr. Morocco. He said, yeah. I said, okay, you remember that church? Remember that deal and the salary and all that? Yeah, that's another thing. Don't have secrets. I don't have any. I don't have secrets. I don't have secrets with my wife. I, we hold many secrets but we don't have secrets like that. We, we are very open. If you'll be transparent, humble, broken all your life, you'll finish strong. If you try to hide something, then you're gonna end up with leprosy. I'm just telling you, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help somebody, I'm trying to help somebody tonight. And we went in and I said, oh, doctor, you know that? And he says, yeah. I said, I dream every night. And uh, I don't even think I got anything out of my mouth, honestly. He was sitting at his desk. I was standing there. I dream every night about how I could this and that. He shoots out of his desk and says, it's witchcraft. I was like, ah! <laughs> he comes over his desk and he's got these two hands that are larger than baseball mitts, engulfed my skull, prayed and broke that thing off. And my recollection of that, has anybody ever heard the snap of a two by four? That's what it sounded like. Crack! And I was on the ground weeping as something broke off of me. And he helped me up. He said, it's witchcraft, son. And he prayed and God touched me and I left and I thought, holy cow. I almost forfeited. God saw this. Oh, oh, God saw this and so much more. He knows the end of your days. He knows you. He formed you. He molded you. He made you. Come on, he saved you for such a time as this. Don't you get in the position where you're God, you're not. Trust him. Do your best. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight.
Don't step over the mantle. Don't step over the impartation. Don't step over it. Don't. Hannah, stand. The Lord has called you. His hand's mightily upon you. He's marked you out. He's showed you things. He's given you dreams. And the truth is, many of those you've not shared because people would think it outlandish or perhaps even prideful. But that which the Lord has shown you, my precious daughter, I will bring to pass. Step over and step in. And watch and see what I'll do again and again. Step over and step in. And I will bring to fruition all the dreams and all the hopes and all the vision that I've placed deep within you. You've chosen a better portion. Do not be offended. Don't even repeat it. Holy Spirit, fire. Woo! Don't you worry. Don't you fret. You ain't seen nothing yet. Don't you worry. Don't you fret. You ain't seen nothing yet, nothing yet, nothing yet. No, you haven't seen anything yet. Trust the Lord. Trust Him. Slay greed. Slay pride. Walk humbly before the Lord. Don't yield to the works of your fallen human nature. Don't do it. More money, more money said the prostitute. Who are we actually serving here? It's not us, it's not supposed to be. Galatians 5 and 16, I'm almost done, whole worship team. Please. Uh, can, Hannah, can you sing something again? Just because you're leaving and you're my daughter and I just kind of want to hear you sing something again. Can you come on up? Bass, bass, drums. Maybe you just sing that song again. Will that work? Okay. I think one of the keys, Galatians 5.16. So then walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're conflicted. They conflict each other. The flesh will take you out. They always have a way of rationalizing our sin. This Syrian. You know what the Syrians did to my family? They did raiding parties. Maybe he lost a loved one. Maybe, maybe he lost... Maybe you lost a brother or sister by one of these Syrians. We have always a way of rationalizing our sin. We'll all be tested. God gives you a moment to repent, which would be now. Do it now. Non-repentance brings death, brings leprosy. Now, if, if Gehazi is the one that gets healed with the four lepers at the gate called Samaria, and what an incredible act of mercy, right? Are you following me? Not if you're following me. What an incredible act of mercy. But God's best was to be Elijah too. 
We read about the stories of Gehazi, and instead, we only read about him talking to the king about the stories. Oh, that's what happens in revival. That happens in revival. When you're not being, you're not raising the dead, you're not healing the sick, you just talk about what happened 20 years ago. Oh my gosh, that's so good right there. Over and over and over, over and over, you were part of a move of God. You were part of a move of God, but then somehow it's like things just got a little bit cooler and, and there wasn't as much fire and you began to rationalize and began to teach instead of demonstrate, which is completely unbiblical. And then you moved into a place of being a teacher and settling for the fact that, well, God's sovereign so he can come when he wants to and just do whatever he wants to. But I'm just going to teach and hope and maybe pray that God, when God actually wants you to step into the pool, God wants you to step into a new thing, which requires death, which requires getting your carcass out of bed and praying, maybe doing a 21-day fast. When you're done with that, do another one and then press into the word and be consumed by the fire of the Holy Ghost and contend for outpouring and put yourself in a place of being uncomfortable. God didn't come to comfort you unless you're afflicted. If you're afflicted, he came to comfort you. If you're comforted already, he came to afflict you. <laughs> Gehazi had, God had mercy, but he lost out on what God's best is. I want God's best for you, for us, for my family, for my kids, God's best. Everything else, no thank you. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to casealaska.com and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.